announcements. That is, uh, show me the Father. So 6 p.m. tonight, you guys, come out to the church. We'll be right here. And uh, excited about being able to show uh, this very powerful film. I uh, always want to thank Teresa and our women's ministry. They help sponsor these movie nights. We haven't had one in quite a while, so it's, it's definitely time that we, uh, that we are able to do this. So I invite you to come back and join us tonight at 6 p.m. Excited about that. So if you do have a copy of God's Word this morning, let's jump into the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're working through uh, the, the book of Philippians, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, his letter to the church at Philippi, which had its beginnings. If you want to go back and remember that, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago from Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul and Silas and Luke and his entourage are on their missionary journeys and uh, a supernatural origin of the church there in Philippi and the story of the Philippian jailers, very powerful. Um, and so Paul is, you know, many years later now writing a letter back to his church family. Many of them probably were led to the Lord through Paul's ministry. And so he is very personally and intimately connected to the believers at Philippi, as he was with most of the churches that he planted. Um, and so you, you'll see Paul's heart really begin to emerge and, and his, his affection, as we saw last week, how he, he prays regularly, faithfully for his, he was praying faithfully for his brothers and sisters in Philippi and, and, and the love, the affection that he had for them in Christ Jesus. Uh, today, we're going to continue down uh, chapter one. We're going to begin around verse 12 this morning as I talk to you about the joy of perseverance. So last week, we, well, actually last week, yeah, I did, um, I shared a message from home uh, because of the snow and everything, and I, I covered the first 11 verses about the joy of prayer and just how, and just to be uh, briefly reminded of what that, that whole message really, how God connected it to my heart was the reason Paul had so much joy Praying for the believers in Philippi was not just that he was able to pray for them, but he understood what prayer really was. Prayer was connecting with God. Prayer was God time. And when you get God time, just one of the, one of the many natural byproducts of spending time with God is that you, you get what? You get joy because God is the source of our joy. And I think, again, Remembering what prayer really is, it's not just that we get to pray for others and confess our sins and, and, and talk to God about all these various problems that we may or may not be having in our life. But more than anything else, it's just spending time with our Heavenly Father. And when you spend time with your Heavenly Father, you don't have a choice. It's going to bring you joy. And that's where the joy of prayer, I think, was hopefully firmly uh, established in our um, message from last week. And today we get to look at the joy of of perseverance, the joy of perseverance. And so, if you will, let's just jump into verse 12 this morning together. And uh, I'm going to read down through verse 18. So we're in Philippians 1, verse 12. Paul writing to the church of Philippi. He says this, And I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, okay, so those who are, are preaching with you know, envy and rivalry, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, I rejoice. Let's take a moment to uh, go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, everyone in this room, everyone that is watching um, virtually this morning, everyone within earshot of this message, Lord, is facing some type of obstacle, challenge, struggle, um, difficulty, a season of depression or sadness or sorrow. And Lord, today we need to hear a message that is going to remind us why there is joy through perseverance, that there is joy to be found not just on the other side of perseverance, but actually as we're going through the trial, as we're going through the difficulty. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling with that right now, I pray that today's message would be helpful and hopeful and would allow us to get our perspective right, um, no matter what we may be facing, and that we would discover this joy that you so richly provide for us in, in all circumstances. And we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we obviously kind of sense a little bit of the context. Paul is, is serving a prison, a prison sentence in Rome. Now, Paul had, we think, at least two different occasions when he was in prison. The first time that he was in prison, uh, Paul was under kind of more of a house arrest situation. He had visitors that could come and go. Um, and I think that Philippians was written in that time frame when Paul was more um, under house arrest. He was obviously still in prison. Um, but later, we know when he wrote his book, to, his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul had since been uh, taken back into prison and was facing imminent execution. And so that imprisonment led to his, his death. Okay, And so this is kind of where we are. And you can already see that Paul is... Uh, Paul is being Paul, you know, he is just taking the gospel wherever it is that it, it, where the Lord leads him. And he's talking about being a witness to the imperial guard here. And, and there's just so much in this passage that I think is going to help you and me today uh, on a very, very practical level. You know, we, we're living in difficult times. We, we are. We're, we're living in discouraging times. Um, many of us are facing all kinds of trials and obstacles and struggles in our life and uh, you know when you throw two years of just whatever you want to call the last two years that we've been living through just just madness I mean just from from every different perspective it's just I, I don't know I, I don't even know how to process I don't know if we can really process what we've been going through the last two years so you throw that on top 
of everything else that we just normally go through in this life. And it's just been, man, we've had a rough go over the last couple of years. And God has um, called us and is still calling us to persevere, okay, to endure. Um, I'll put it to you this way. Don't give, don't give up. So many times we want to, so many times we think I can't do anymore. And guys, God is calling us to persevere. And we get to hear letters like this and we get to read scripture like this from people like the Apostle Paul who went through difficult times himself to remind us that it is possible and God is faithful and he can see us through and he wants us to have joy through the um, difficult times of our life. And so I have three very, very basic and simple things from this passage that I'd like to share with you today. The first is this, is that we can discover joy in our trials when we understand, okay, we're talking about a new perspective, when we understand that obstacles are actually opportunities, specifically opportunities to be a gospel witness. Now, now this is very, very, very important. Now, Paul had a, an apparent obstacle in front of him. He was in prison. He was not free to move about in the way that he wanted to go. Paul could have very much felt sorry for himself. He, he could have very much been angry. He could have been resentful at God. He could have blamed God for allowing him to have to go to prison, knowing that he was to be a, a, a witness to the Gentiles. Paul ha, has... Uh, these great hopes and desires to see the gospel spread all throughout the known world, all the way to Spain. Uh, you know, he is just, he is on fire for the gospel, and here he is stuck in one place, unable to go and do whatever he wants to do. This is a major obstacle in his life. That goes without saying. But Paul didn't see it that way, did he? He took an obstacle and turned it into a what? Into an opportunity. He turned this into an opportunity. So my question to you today, what is your obstacle? What, what is the, the one, or maybe you have more than one, what, what, are the, what is that thing or things in your life right now that you are allowing to be an obstacle to stand in your way of being the witness that God has called you to be? All of us have them. I don't want to say that they're all excuses, but we're good at making what? We're good at making excuses. Lord, I'm, <clears throat> Lord, I'm just too old. I just can't do all the things that I used to do anymore. Anybody feeling the obstacle of old age? Lord, I just don't feel good. I'm physically not well. I just, I wake up, I don't feel good, I'm battling migraines or chronic pain or whatever it may be. That's a, that's a what? A major obstacle. God, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed out all the time. My workplace is a terrible environment. I'm out there trying to do my very best and I'm overwhelmed at work and I'm getting mistreated by my boss and, and you know, this, this work is just a terrible environment. I'm tired of my workplace. This is just a major what? Major obstacle in my life. I mean, there could be financial problems. Maybe you're just having a very difficult time in a relationship right now where it's just, it's dominating, it's overwhelming your life, or you're just having this conflict in your life that's unresolved and it's just, it's this major obstacle. Maybe you're just way too busy. 
Maybe uh, kids out there, you're, you're facing peer pressure at school. Maybe, maybe you're getting ridiculed or maybe you're getting left out of the cool crowd because you're not willing to participate in some of the things that all the other kids are doing or your parents are a little bit more you know, strict on you when it comes to the things that everybody else is doing, but you, know, you don't get to participate in those things and you see that as, as not an opportunity but as, a, as an obstacle. Guys, what I'm trying to help you understand today is that no matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, no matter whether you are literally in prison, I've known men, I I used to do prison ministry, I haven't done it in many, many years, but I've known men who it took them going to prison to find who? To find the Lord. And they were changed in prison and left as a completely new person and, and saw that you know, on the way out, looking back, saying, you know what, I hated having to serve five years or two years or ten years or twenty years. But at the end of the day, I got to know Jesus there, and it was an amazing opportunity for God to work in my life. So no matter what it is today, guys, I think that what we're talking about is, is what's your perspective? You know, we see Paul here, and again, he's, he's in prison. He can't go and move about as he wants to, but he says, he says brothers, he says, what's happened to me is that I understand, I see it from a bigger perspective. What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul sees it as an advancement, not a hindrance of the gospel, but it's been an advancement of the gospel. He says, my imprisonment is for Christ. He knows, he understands that. Now, I don't think you could say Paul was justifiably imprisoned. He was was unjustly imprisoned. But nonetheless, he says, my imprisonment is for who? It's for Jesus Christ. He could have complained and tried to get a legal team and tried to file an appeal and do all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things if you're unjustly imprisoned. But ultimately, you look at it in the time being, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm in this situation. This could be a major obstacle in my life that I just allow to dominate my life and control my thought process and and ruin my perspective and, and destroy my attitude for Christ and all that. Or... I can see this completely different. Wait a minute, God, you've got me here at this place at this time for a specific purpose. And by the way, think about the advantage Paul had in prison. He has a captive audience. They can't go anywhere, neither can he. So they don't have to listen to him. I guess they could do this and stick their fingers in their ears. But what an advantage. How many times do we have opportunities to have a true captive audience when there's not that many distractions? Those opportunities don't come along as, mo- as often as we, as we may think. And so we see how Paul is becoming more and more courageous in his witness. And look at his courage in prison. It says that it's becoming contagious. In verse 14, he says, And having become most of the other brothers who are confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, okay, they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What does that mean? So they saw how Paul responded in in courageousness and having confidence in the Lord and not blaming God for his situation, but looking at this as an opportunity to advance the gospel. And because of Paul's witness in that situation and circumstance, his courage was contagious and it was catching on for more and more believers, not only there in Philippi, but all over the known world as they heard about Paul's circumstances. And that was making them become more what? More bold. More intentional. Because they're facing their own what? Obstacles. Just like we are. So just like fear is 
contagious in a negative sense. You know, we, we become afraid and afraid and, and, and you begin to allow the fear to, you know, affect you and isolate you and do all these kind of different things. Well, well courage, guys, is, is the exact opposite. It's also contagious in a positive sense. So can we really, can we really say that, that trials, can we really discover joy in our trials? Now, I'm, I want to qualify something for you real quick. I didn't mean, I didn't say, and I don't think the scriptures say, that we're to thank God and find joy for our trials. There's a difference, right? I'm not necessarily saying if you get diagnosed with cancer and you see this as a major obstacle that you say, thank you, God, for cancer. I'm not saying you thank God for cancer, but you find joy, what? In it and through it. I do think there's a distinct difference. Now, I guess from a big general big picture perspective we can still thank thank God that you allowed me to go through this and I can still be your witness I understand that but I do think that we have to understand is that in the trial and through the trial that's where we discover the joy because that's where we find who that's where we find God that's where we find Jesus Peter and James uh they they re-emphasize this throughout uh their letters as well let me read first Peter 4 listen to what Peter said He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Guys, when we we go through these obstacles, these trials, it's not strange. It's not out of the ordinary. This is to be what? Expected. We're We're to expect these things. He says, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed you see sometimes i think we want the glory but we won't we don't want to have to go through the what the suffering the the difficulty right and that's just not the way life works if we want to know jesus the mission statement of christ church to know christ to make him known to know christ and make well if you want to know jesus it's great if we want to know the glory and and the good Uh, you know, all the happy, wonderful things about Jesus, but what's the other side of Jesus that we have to get to know? His what? His suffering. Because Jesus suffered, did he not? Oh, he suffered. He's the man of sorrows, right? The suffering servant. So if we want to know the whole Jesus, we want to know Jesus in totality, we can't just pick and choose what parts of Jesus we want to know. We, gotta, we want to know all of him, and that includes what we go through in this life with our difficulties and our suffering. And then James put it this way. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of different kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance. And let that perseverance have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing so guys the reason that there is joy in the trial and that we can discover joy through perseverance is because it's when we go through these difficult times and when we face these apparent obstacles in our life that is when we find God yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for what you are with me who the Lord you are with me I will fear no evil because you are with me that's all that matters that's where we find God it's at the it's in the trial it's in the storm 
And he's the one that walks with us through that. And then we're given these opportunities to a watching world. Because by the way, guys, if we hadn't, if we hadn't paid attention, everybody in this room who claims to be a Christian, you are a witness. You are a witness. That's not a question. Here's the question. What kind of a witness are you? That's a whole different question altogether, right? When the world sees us under pressure, when the world sees us with obstacles and trials and difficulties and sufferings and all of these challenges, when they're watching to see how we're going to respond and how we're going to react, guys, I do believe that they should see something different. They should see something else in us that we respond differently in the face of difficulties and trials and and suffering and persecution that the world doesn't have, that they don't understand. So when we go through these things and we do have the opportunity to be a witness to a watching world, that is a powerful testimony of who God is and how he is at work. And I promise you, people, people notice that. They pay attention. It is through these times that we grow closer to God, right? This is where we mature in our faith. And this is where we get to see God do things that we would not otherwise have been able to see him do. When we have to come to the end of, again, as we said earlier, you know, I don't have control anymore over this situation or circumstance. I can't control it. Good. That's a good thing. Because it's at that moment that we have to turn and depend on who? On the Lord. So again, instead of getting angry and upset that we can't control a certain, or, or you know, frustrated that we can't control a certain situation that, that we either brought on ourselves or somebody else has brought upon us, we look at it and say, wait a minute, God, this is a good thing because now I get to let go and understand that I'm not in control, but I'm in your hands now. And I'm going to trust in you and depend upon you to get me what? To see me through. To walk me through. And so, guys, I just want to encourage you this morning. I know you're going through difficult times. I know there's all kind of obstacles out there. Let's change our our thought process. Let's change our perspective and change our attitude. And I promise you, you will find so much joy as you go through that with the Lord, with his help, being a witness for him, using it as a chance to tell the world and show the world what a true believer, a follower of Jesus Christ looks like in the face of persecution, in the face of difficulty. Number two. Don't let hypocrites steal your joy and stop you from serving Jesus. I love that that Paul talks about this. Look at what he says. He says, some are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. If you you read the letters of Paul, you you become familiar that he he, he was a... He was a very controversial figure in the early church. And and from the very onset, whether it was because of his background, how he was such a persecutor of the church to begin with, and how he was radically transformed, and or maybe, who knows, uh, the enemy was always, seemed like, trying to work against Paul. And and Jesus told him, he said, look, you're going to have to suffer a lot for my namesake. Like, this is not going to be an easy gig for you, Paul. So he he understood kind of what was coming, um, but he seemed to always have enemies and and people who were out to get him 
and to and to to backbite him and to ruin his reputation and to come in behind him and 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 share all kind of false teaching and you you read through his letters and he's fighting with this all the time and here in the book of Philippians he's talking about how some are preaching and so they're you know does this mean that does this mean that they're real believers that they're Christians I don't know maybe and I'm not here to decide you know the the true heart or motivation of these people who are preaching out of selfish ambition, but they're, they're preaching out of envy. They're jealous of Paul. They're, they're, they're rivals. They're, they're in the spirit of competition. This is one of the things that I cannot stand, especially in the South. It's the whole, you're on my turf deal, right? It's like, well, such and such was a member of our church, but now they're coming to your church, you know, and, and now, now we got a problem because you stole some of our sheep. That's turfism. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And instead of a spirit of cooperation where churches are looking more for opportunities to work together and we're not envious and jealous of who's got what and who's going where and who's doing what, but instead we're coming together with the spirit of cooperation, it's the same thing that's happening today. It's the same thing that was happening in Paul's day. This jealousy, this envy. But I'm fascinated because he says, some are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. All right, what's the key word there? They're preaching what? Christ. That, if you read it, I first would, would think that the, the distinguishing factor of that, that sentence is selfish ambition. But you know what's more powerful than their selfish ambition? The gospel. I want to show you something. This is, ba- this is amazing. So here's, here's what you got going on here. First, there's a warning, okay? There's a warning to preachers and teachers. So if there's any preachers and teachers out there, I know we have teachers in the church. Some of you have been called to preach on on different occasions or whatever it may be. But there is a warning for preachers and teachers and those who have decided to take advantage of the weak and the naive and to mislead and lead others astray because of their own desire for selfish ambition or selfish gain. Paul's basically giving us a warning and saying, listen, This is a dangerous ground for you to be treading on if you're a teacher. This is what James says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that he who teaches will be judged with greater strictness. There is a higher level of accountability for those who stand and preach and teach in the church of God. So it's it's not a, you know, it's it's not a casual thing for us to do. You ought to really contemplate and and search your heart before you take upon this role as teacher and or preacher because you will be judged with greater strictness. And I think it goes without saying that for the preachers and teachers out there who are using the gospel for selfish ambition, for self-promotion, maybe they're getting some type of financial gain, maybe they're doing it for power or for fame, and we see all this all throughout uh, the world, unfortunately, that person who's doing that, guys, they have no fear of God. That's the bottom line. You just don't, have, you just don't fear God if you're, if you're out there doing that. I don't, I don't get it. I really don't. I guess they become so blinded by their own pride and their own self-ambition or whatever it may be that they just they forget, like, they're going to have to stand before who? they got to stand before the Lord one day and give an account. Wow. That, that, that terrifies me. It does. And it should you, too. So they don't have an eternal perspective, and they don't have a place in God's church. And I think that goes 
without saying. So, so motivations do matter to God, and I, and I want to I say that because we know that. And here's, the, here's the, the tricky part. Can we always tell what your motivation is or what my motivation is? We can't always do that. And we, to some extent, we can fool men. There's some people out there that are really good at fooling other men. What's, what's, the, what's the, the flip side of that, though? You can never fool God. Can't do it. So again, they just don't have a fear of God. Number two, we learn in this situation that the gospel itself, what did Paul say in Romans 1.16? He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, okay, the verbal proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God. He says, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ because it is the what? Power of God unto salvation. I want you to think about that for a second. The gospel is so powerful in its essence and in its substance and in the way that God uses the verbal spoken word of the good news to change hearts and to save souls, to change lives, is that he can still use people and preachers who are preaching out of selfish ambition and preaching for all the wrong motivations. He can cut through all of that and still use the gospel to do what it's designed to do. Think about how powerful and awesome that is. I'll give you a, an example. There's a guy that I follow. His name is Joel Richardson. I like his teaching, and he, he shares a testimony. He lives in Kansas City. He's got a, a very good international ministry, and Joel tells the story. He says one day he was a kid, grew up in Boston. He was a drug addict. He was just into all kind of trouble. His life was going nowhere. He and some friends stopped by Memphis, Tennessee one time when he was a teenager, they parked somewhere and somewhere down around 3rd Street, somewhere over there, kind of downtown Memphis, and there was a tent revival going on in a Piggly Wiggly parking lot. And for some reason, they went. And it was a charismatic Pentecostal tent revival. There's no telling what those people were teaching. I, you know, he said, looking back, they probably weren't the most biblically sound, doctrinally sound uh, preachers and teachers in the world. But guess what happened to Joel Richardson that day? He got saved. And his life was changed forever. Who knows what those people had their tent revival. Maybe it was for good intentions. We don't know. But at the end of the day, my point is, even people and preachers who are out there preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons, God can still what? He can still use it. But here's the, here's the main thing I want to share with you. Can, can we stop using the hypocrite, the hypocrite excuse? Can we, just, can we finally just stop using that? You've heard it, right? Well, you're talking to your cousin or your friend or your neighbor, and they're like, yeah, you know, I hadn't been to church in a long time, you know, because them folks down there at Christ Church, you know, they're just a bunch of what? They're just a bunch of hypocrites down there. Really? Do you get, do you get hungry this week? Do you go to the store and buy some food? Yeah. Think there's some hypocrites that work down there at the grocery store? Any false advertising going on at the grocery store? Maybe. Why, why don't you quit going to the grocery store? There's hypocrites, right? What about the IRS? Do you pay your taxes this year? IRS is full of a bunch of saints, right? Any crooks in the IRS? Maybe. If you're out there and you work for the IRS, I'm sorry. I'm not. Did you pay your taxes this year? Anybody ever heard of a bad mechanic? Isn't there some bad mechanics out there? Just take advantage of people left and right. And your car breaks down, you're going to go to the shop. I think so. 
What about doctors? Anybody out there, doctors, medical malpractice, doctors that aren't the best people on morally, ethically pure? You get sick, you're going to go where? You're going to go to the doctor? What about our teachers? There's some great teachers out there. My wife's one of the best school teachers I know. There's, not some, there's some teachers out there that are not very good. You sending your kids to school? What about all the hypocrites in the schools? I, I mean, I, I could go on and on and on and on with this, right? I mean, how many times are we going to continue to use this excuse that because there's hypocrites in the church, then I'm not going to go to church? The first thing that we need to understand, guys, is that Jesus and the apostles told us that there would be what? Hypocrites in the church, right? No surprise here. There would be wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing, and there would be false teachers in the church. And, and by the way, just we as Christians in general, guys, let's just be honest, we're all what? We're all hypocrites. I think every person in a sense, in other words, if you're not going to be a hypocrite, that means you always do what you say. Anybody here always do what they say? Anybody out here always do what they claim to be true and right in their convictions? None of us are perfect in what we claim to be and what we actually are. That means, technically speaking, we're what? We're hypocrites. So that, that argument, guys, has got to be shot down. We've got to understand that there's no such thing as perfect Christians, and we know all of that, guys. But the thing is, when people try to bring that up, just begin to ask them questions like that. We don't, we don't apply that standard to anything else in life but what? But the church. Okay, that should not be an argument anymore. And that's basically what Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, just because these guys out here are preaching out of rivalry and envy and, and they're doing it all for the wrong reasons, don't let that what? Don't let that stop what you do. Don't let that stop you from serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, guys, we're always going to be dealing with these things. Okay? And so we... We kind of wrap this thing up when we get to verse 16, and I want to spend just a few minutes here before we close. So think about what we've talked about. You find joy in understanding that there's opportunities instead of obstacles. It's, it's all about our perspective. We find joy in, in remaining steadfast and persevering and remaining faithful to our covenant family the church family remaining faithful to God, even if other people around us have false motivations or maybe they are hypocrites in what they say and what they do. No, we should not let that what stop us from the joy that we have serving the Lord and remaining faithful to our calling. And the last thing I want to share with you is just something that's very, very near and dear to my heart as just as far as a believer um, in general, and that's this, okay? Because Paul mentions it, and I want to mention it right here in verse 16. He says, know that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And this immediately made me think about what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15. And says, be prepared to give an answer or a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. Anybody ever heard that before? Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason, that's a very key word, a reason, 
for the hope that you have, or in this, in this case, for the joy that you have. So my last point is very simple. We must always be prepared to give a defense, not only for what we believe. Now, that would be a, a miracle in and of itself that, that believers would know what they believe, first of all, right? That's kind of step one. Do we even know what we believe? Step two is to know, what's the question? Why do you believe what you believe? That's a whole nother ball game right there. So if you don't know what you believe, you certainly are going to struggle telling people why you believe it. We need both. And Paul is using a very specific Greek word. It's apologia. It's a, it's a, it's a word that we use for apologetics. It's to be able to give a reasonable, rational, logical defense or an answer for not just what we believe, guys, but for why we believe it. Now, I'll just, I'm going to put it to you very, very simply because I'm, I'm running a little bit out of time. And I just want to break it down this way. Here's the way I think it should work, okay? Now, we could go into a whole series about apologetics. Um, I'm thankful for Cameron. I think you back there, Cameron. Cameron's been taking our students. Is on Sunday nights. Taking our students through a study in apologetics. And they just, they ask questions and what about this and why about this? And I mean, I know it's been very fruitful. I've heard testimonies about how these kids are growing. They have, they have all these questions about the word of God and Christianity and our faith and all these kind of things. Philosophy, atheism, evolution, you know, all the big, big, you know, picture questions that we often ask and get caught up on. And we need that. We need to study that. We need to be prepared. We need to, we need to grow in our defense of the faith, okay? But I'm not going to spend time talking about that today because that's a whole other message for a whole other day. But here's the way I envision this thing working. Let's think about this. You're out there in life and you're a Christian and you're following Jesus. And you're hit with a major obstacle. I mean, it's tough. It, it's, it could be suffering. It could be illness. It could be financial. It, you know, all the things we talked about, right? I mean, you, you, you fill in the blank. And you're hit with that obstacle. And your family and your friends and your coworkers and your fellow students at school, your neighbors, they know what you're going through. And they're observing you. And they're kind of watching you. And they see something in you that they're like, I don't understand. This person is going through the most difficult time of their life. And yet they still have a joy. I don't understand that. And they, and they sit and they watch a little bit longer. Like I think they're pretending. They're a hypocrite. They're, they're faking it, Right? I mean, all of us could fake it for a little while, right? You know, maybe they're just putting up appearances long enough until they, they really, you know, get behind closed doors and then their real colors begin to show and they watch you a little bit longer and they're like, no, it's been a month, it's been six weeks, it's, it's been half a year, it's been a year and that joy is still there and that witness and that testimony is still there. This is for what? This is for real. They've got something for real that I've, I don't see in other people. Eventually, that neighbor or that classmate or that coworker, guess what they're going to do? They're going to come to you. And they're going to say, hey, 
I've just been kind of watching you over the last six weeks or over the last six months or the last six days. And I know all that you've gone through. And I just got to tell you, I don't understand how you've been able to maintain so much peace and have so much even joy. And, and your, your attitude has just been amazing. And you've just you've kind of you've tried to keep a positive outlook on and you've and you've even been helping other people and, and reaching out to other people in the midst of your own trouble. And I don't understand it. Please tell me what makes you what? What makes you different? Always be prepared to give a what? An answer for the hope, for the joy that you have. That's what Paul's talking about. How many times in your lifetime and in your Christian witness have you had somebody come to you and ask you what makes you different simply because of the way that you are able to handle yourself in the midst of a very, very difficult desperate time guys that's what I'm talking about and I believe that it's our privilege and it's our responsibility as believers to be able to show the world that we do not grieve as those who have no hope there should be something different in the way that you and I respond to grief and that's not because we're better and stronger and all that, it simply means, it goes back to what I shared with you last week, is that as we draw near to who? As we draw near to God, and we spend that time from Him and, and look to Him to provide the things that we can't have, that's where that source of joy is going to come from. And that's, Jesus said, I give you joy like no one else can give. It's just like a joy that floods the soul and it never runs out. Guys, that's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what it means to have the joy of perseverance. Amen? Amen. So we're going to come and uh, sing one more song this morning. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on back up, get our band back up here. Guys, what I want to do is as is our team's making their way back up, I just want to spend a little bit of time in prayer and, and just challenge you one more time that, yes, we, we need to be prepared to give an answer. But before we ever even get to that point where somebody does notice that, that difference in us, we cannot skip the first step. And that first step is, how are we responding when we face the obstacle? How are we going to respond when we face the struggle? How are we going to respond in the midst of the trial? Okay? We, can, we got two choices, right? We can either run away from the Lord in our anger, and our frustration, or whatever it may be, or we can draw what? Draw nearer to Him. And that is, that's the key. That as we draw near to Him through the trial, in the midst of the trial, that is where He is the one that provides what we need. That's the blessing. So we're, no matter where you are today, if you're here, you need to pray, you need to get on your knees, you need to talk, you need counsel, whatever it may be, I will be available after we sing this last song. And I just want to want you to make this time that time for you to do that just that self-examination just open yourself up to God just just let him minister to your heart through the Holy Spirit and we're going to sing one more song together all right let's pray together Lord I do thank you that you're a God who cares and a God who hears you're a God who's faithful
And you're a God who is with us, Lord, in every situation and circumstance, Lord, so that even as you, Jesus, went to the cross for the joy that was set before you, you know what it's like, Lord, to be in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And yet, Lord, you're so willing to go through with it for the love that you had for us and for knowing that you could bring us with you, Lord, through the other side, which is the resurrection. What a glorious day that will be. And so, Lord, with all these things in mind, we want to thank you and praise you for the joy of perseverance. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, if you would, let's, let's stand together as we sing. your breath is your All the earth will shout your praise. Uh-huh. 